Good afternoon. Good evening. Good to see everyone back this evening. We certainly appreciate you returning, your presence here this evening. Um, I'll cover just a couple of announcements um, that we had this morning, and, um, and then we'll get started off with a word of prayer after that. Um, as announced this morning, um, there's going to be a new men's study group uh, starting up. Well, it's going to meet on Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. I think January 9th is going to be their uh, kickoff meeting. Um, there's going to be a sign-up sheet that will be posted some shortly. And um, if you get into the text group, the group me app, or whatever they're going to use with that. And um, you can see uh, Josh or Scott Gunner um, to come up with more details on it. So there'll be more to come about that men's group that's going to get started up here at the first of the year. Um, also, this morning we mentioned um, some, a few graduations that are, have occurred here at the, the end of the school year here, or the, the ending first semester, I guess. Uh, Carol Smith's grandsons, Austin Smith, graduated ASU, and then Kobe Riley Smith, or Riley Smith, Kobe's son, uh, Masters U of A uh, graduated. And also Jennifer Jolly was graduating with a um, nurse practitioner's degree. So congratulations to all those graduates and their families. Um, they put in hard work and it's good to congratulate them for that. Um, another announcement that was not in the bulletin was about Nancy Dinsmang. Um, William's mom had been gone to the ER in Searcy last night. I'm not sure if she got to come home today or not, but uh, I don't see anyone here that's still there. Okay. So let's keep uh, her in our prayers as well. Um, and uh, David had a quick trip to the hospital, but he made it back, so that was good news on that. And then Eugenia Hockett uh, mentioned was having still having back issues, so let's continue to pray for her. Uh, there's some others there listed in the bulletin. I won't cover all that again. Be sure to pick up the bulletin if you have not already. Um, are there any other announcements we need to cover tonight before we get started? If, um, if not, if you bow with me. Our Father in heaven, we, we thank you for this wonderful day that you give us. Thanks for all the many blessings that you bestow upon each one of us, Father. We especially thank you for the opportunity that we had to come back here this evening to, to spend another hour of studying your word and singing songs of praise and worshiping you, Father. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that, to do this that we do have, Father. Father, tonight we ask you to be with Rick as he's leading our song service and, and bring, uh, be with Josh as he's delivering a message. And Father, we ask you to be with each one of us to, um, to help us hear the words that are spoken tonight. And Father, help, help your words sink into our heart. Help each one of us to grow and help us to be better servants to you. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
690, that'll be the song that turns into season. No, wait a minute. Wrong night. I'm not doing it right. 702. 702. So it should have been the board. 702 is the song that turns into night. And then we'll sing number 336. And we'll be, this will be the song before the rest of the season. Number 336. Sometimes that feels like a green mile. <laughs> Text tonight will be 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Simon was a fisherman by trade on the Sea of Galilee. He shared a house with his wife and his mother-in-law at Capernaum. As an individual, Peter was impulsive, impetuous, yet warm-hearted, sometimes uh, disarming, uh, vacillating, but always humble. Peter was also devoted to Jesus, courageous in the face of persecution, true to the, to the, true to the Lord's calling. Simon Peter had the distinct privilege to have known and followed our Savior, thus having become a fisher of men along with 11 other committed individuals. The beginning of the Church of God was established with Peter's message on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2. His heart was committed to Jesus as he responded to threats from the authorities in Acts 4. 
saying, Whether it is right in the sight of God to hearken to, unto you rather than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things that we saw and heard. So Peter was molded. He was shaped by our Savior's words and example. Peter exclaims in verse 2 of our text tonight, As newborn babes long for the spiritual milk, which is without guile, that ye may grow thereby unto salvation. Appreciate the sermon this, this morning from Josh about growth, Christian growth. Peter was all about growth. He had a lot of growing to do when he first met Jesus. He encourages Christian go growth by telling the brethren in First Peter, uh, the brethren of the Jewish dispersion, to remember who they are. First Peter follows the Ephesian letter of Paul in the gospel timeline. Peter probably had it in hand when he wrote to the dispersion uh, of Asia Minor from Rome. And we can glint that from uh, the passage in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. The design of 1 Peter was to exhort, to testify with reference to what he called the true grace of God, encouraging the saints to greater steadfastness in the face of great persecution uh, in chapter 5 verse 12 it was written to saints who were passing through a fiery trial of persecution uh, chapter 4 verse 12 in recent uh, archaeological dis discoveries the menorah has been found on several cave walls and is assumed that these were meeting places for the Christians as they worship to escape from uh, personal harm. The purpose of 1 Peter was threefold. Number one was to confirm them in the faith of the gospel. Number two, to strengthen them to greater endurance in the conflicts in which they struggled. And number three, to comfort them with the assurance of Christ's return. Uh, chapter 4, 12 through 13. This is a letter of encouragement, and I hope that to be the case tonight. Encouragement to people in the first century, but also for us. Second chapter of First Peter is preceded by a reminder of the Christians' in inheritance in chapter 1. Inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fades not away, and reserved in heaven for you. Verse 4. He admonishes them to get mentally tough, focus their hope on the coming of Christ and their appointment with judgment. So chapter 2 of 1 Peter, if you're there, is a unique picture of God's children. Great admonition for us to remember who we are. Tonight I'd like for you to remember three distinct words from uh, this chapter. Number one is priest. Number two is pilgrim, and number three is pat, uh, pattern. Priest is suggestive of a sanctified body of believers. And we see that uh, suggested in, in verses 5 and 9 of chapter 2. Pilgrim conveys the thought of future potential, present peril, verses 11 and 12. 
The word pattern is not used in this chapter, but uh, it is conveyed through the thought of Christ as our example in suffering, verses 21 through 24. So I think Peter's assessment of the Christian life in these three ways is, is kind of pivotal for the Christian. And it answers the question, who is a Christian anyway? So beginning with verse 1, let's read through verse 5. Putting away, therefore, all wickedness and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes long for the spiritual milk which is without guile, that ye may grow thereby unto salvation. If ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, unto whom coming a living stone, rejected indeed of men, but with God elect, precious. Ye also as living stones are built up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As I broached the idea of the Christian as a priest of God, <clears throat> from verse 5, I wondered where did this idea come from? And is it a thought peculiar to Peter? Just as the Levitical priests were concentrated, consecrated to their office, their office by washing of water, even so we today may enter upon their priest, our priestly functions as Christians through baptism. There are numerous passages throughout the New Testament endorsing the biblical idea of spiritual sacrifice. We see these, uh, just to name a couple, Romans 12, 1, and then in Hebrews 13, 15 through 16. Spiritual sacrifice through our high priest, that is Jesus Christ, who mediates on our behalf, as we learn from Hebrews 2, 17. So it's not surprising to find passages like 1 Peter where reference is made to a kingdom of priests. So let's build this thought of a priestly kingdom looking at our text in 1 Peter. And then we're going to find one other place where it's mentioned in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6. Peter transitions from his favorite subject of growth, as I mentioned before, growth on spiritual milk to that of a building in verse 4, particularly to a rejected cornerstone that represents Christ. This elect and precious stone literally means one chosen by the side of God. In verse 5, Peter says, Ye also as living stones are built up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Containing the figure of, of a building in which Christ is the foundation stone, Peter describes the followers of the Lord as living stones that constitute a, a spiritual house, which is the church. Paul also alludes to the house of God as the church of the living God, in 1 Timothy 3, verse 14 and 15. This priesthood is holy because its members have been separated to the sacred purpose of worship before the altar 
of God. The kind of sacrifices we offer are spiritual in nature, unlike the priests of Moses' day. This idea is also dear to the heart of the Apostle Paul. He elaborates on it in Ephesians 2, 18 through 22, that the Christian is a temple of God, a habitation of God through the Spirit, built upon the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. <clears throat> Peter introduces three Old Testament texts in verses 6 through 8. He supports his, this supports his argument of a holy priesthood, not from a special tribe, but from all nations, consecrated by the Lord for service. In verse 6, he alludes to Isaiah 28, verse 7, Psalm 118, and verse 8, uh, Isaiah 8. So let's look at uh, those, two, those three verses there. Because it is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be put to shame. For you, therefore, that believe is the preciousness. But for such as disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, the same was made the head of the, cor head of the corner stone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Peter drives home the point of a royal priesthood in verses 9 and 10 to those who officiate in the temple of God looking at verse 9 but ye are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him <clears throat> who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light for you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now have received mercy. Under the old covenant, the office of king and priest were kept distinctly separated. In 1 Samuel 13, Saul presumed to offer a sacrifice instead of, of Samuel. Samuel rebuked Saul to his face. In fact, the very first indication that Saul's kingdom fell would be in this coming chapter, in chapter 13. There is a, a messianic, messianic passage in Zechariah 6.13 that describes Jesus as priest upon his throne. Here is a kingly priest, one who rules and reigns upon a throne. So this kind of goes counter to the historical Jewish priest and the priesthood of, of Levite. This royal priesthood also comes to be characteristic of Jesus' followers. We are described as kingly royal priesthood or a kingdom of priests, borrowing the language from Exodus, Exodus 19, verse 6. As our Lord is a king and a priest, uh, in, in fact, Hebrews chapter 10, or 7, 8, 9, and 10 adequately flesh this out. 
those who follow him become a part of a royal priesthood. This is an enormous statement by the Apostle Peter. Uh, if we are ever to do what we ought to do as the Lord's body, if we are ever to do what we ought to do, we must be what he wants us to be. Twice in this chapter, Peter affirms that Christians are part of a priesthood of believers, sanctified by Christ, giving God the glory. I mentioned Revelation is another place where it mentions us as priests. Revelation chapter 6, or chapter 1, excuse me, verse 6, Peter, Peter's assessment is confirmed by the Apostle John, who's saying, and he made us to be a kingdom to be priests unto his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Can you imagine what a change of thought this brought to the Jewish mind? Toward God and towards the kingdom of Christ. They're no longer ethnic Hebrews, but a chosen people separated unto Christ. Empowered to worship God directly and not indirectly through the priest, priest, uh, fiscal priesthood. Can you imagine what this should do for us today? As a kingdom of priests, we offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God, verse 5. We are a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. This truth has important implications because it simply means that all of us are to minister and all of us enjoy the privileges of the elect race, the royal priesthood. Many of our spiritual problems and our, our faith problems, our moral problems and ethical problems would be resolved if we could just see who we are and what we have in Jesus. Peter continues the thought of a spiritual sacrifice in the concept of a Christian as a pilgrim, verses 11 and 12. So if you read with me there, starting with verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, and sojourner is used in, in verse 1 of chapter 1, and pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Peter reminds us that our existence here is temporary, is transitory. Our eyes and hearts should be fixed on a better land. And we often sing the song, This, is, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. This is a proving ground, a period of probation. This is a time to be in the world, but not of the world, but also engaged in God's plan. We are the salt of the earth, Matthew 5.13. Salt preserves and also irritates. 
that salt needs to make contact with that which needs to be preserved. The idea of a pilgrim is a safeguard, safeguard for us to keep from being victimized by our material things, things that would hinder our earthly travel as pilgrims. Our pilgrimage also involves giving honor to all men, loving the brotherhood, fearing God, and honoring the king, verses 13 and through 17. Paul has a similar idea in Romans chapter 13. Submit to the powers that be because they are ordained by God. The Christian is to pray, pay, and obey the king even when a Nero is on the throne. We are to honor all men, for all are made in the image of God, no matter how they might be marred or scarred by sin. Verses 18 through 20 in our text gives an injunction to slaves. We are to suffer for the Lord's sake. We are to be willing to bear reproaches for the Lord's cause. We are here to serve not to be served in our pilgrimage. Who are we? We are holy priests. We have a high responsibility and privilege. We are also pilgrims going to a better land. We have potential, but we also face peril. So we are priests, we're pilgrims, and then we have a great example or a great pattern. Verses 20 through 25. Starting with verse 20. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, or as I call it, a pattern, for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. To appreciate what Peter says here in these verses, let's recall what Isaiah said. But he was pierced for, through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us as sheep are like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah 53. No greater example of endurance can be found than those of the events at Calvary. The phrase, all of us like sheep have gone astray, is repeated in, is repeated in verse 25 of our text. He gave us an example that we should follow. Jesus is the one who shepherds. 
Jesus is the one who laid down his life on the cross. Who are we anyway? We are living stones in a great spiritual building. We're part of a royal, kingly, and, and regal priesthood. We are an elect race, a chosen generation. We are the people of God. So we are priests, we are pilgrims, and we have a great pattern. He died for us, leaving an example that we should follow in his steps. He is the great shepherd who unerringly can bring us into the eternal fold and make us his forever. He is the only one who can enable us to say, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Psalm 23, 4. So I hope you remember those three words from Peter, that we are priests, we are pilgrims, and we have a great pattern. The lesson is yours tonight. I hope that you found encouragement, motivation to grow as Peter would want these people of the first century to grow. We have a great example in, in Christ. If you have any need tonight to respond to God's invitation, please stand as we sing. Six forty two. It won't be on the board, so you don't have to turn to six forty. 
Would you bow with me? Our God and our Father, which art in heaven, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for this week you have given us. We pray, Father, that you'll be with us this coming week and help us, Father, to put our minds upon serving you and doing your will all this week long. We pray, Father, for this country. We pray, Father, for the missionaries, and we pray for the world over, Father, that they'll come to you for it's everlasting too late. Watch over us this week, guide us and direct us, and Father, and direct our paths. For these things we ask now, Son, in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>